Autism spectrum disorder is the fastest growing developmental disability in America. It affects one in every 150 children, and it can devastate families. My dream was to send him to MIT. I had a career. Um, life is beautiful. And at 27 months, he disappeared. He had no more words. He wasn't pointing. He had no communication whatsoever. You didn't even know Anthony was alive. Autism is a neurological disorder that affects normal functioning of the brain. It can cause impaired social interaction and communication, as well as restricted and repetitive behavior. It begins before the age of three and lasts throughout a person's life. No one knows for sure or can even agree on what causes autism spectrum disorder, but every parent of an autistic child can tell you stories about the challenges it presents. I'm clueless. Colin was diagnosed in uh, April, so I'm new to this and I'm scared and doctors don't help much. Coming up, Autism Chronicles, profiles of families living and coping with autism. I'm Steve Edwards. Every day in America, 60 families learn that their child has autism. Over the next hour, producers Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister will bring you the stories of three families and how living with autistic children has brought sadness, frustration, and sometimes joy to their lives. First, let's meet the Browns. They live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Katrina Brown is an elementary school teacher whose desire to help her own children learn was all she and her husband could talk about when they found out she was pregnant with their first son, Gibson. But even before Gibson was diagnosed with autism, he endured numerous life-threatening complications in his first few months of life. In fact, as Katrina Brown explains in this first part of their story, Gibson was in the hospital for 151 days after his birth. He came home on oxygen, and he came home on a feeding pump, and on numerous medications, and he was weaned off all that over time. And you know, so we kind of let go of our worries and are thinking, okay, he's doing fine. But when his first birthday came around and he wasn't pointing and he wasn't saying mama and he wasn't saying daddy and he wasn't waving goodbye and even though every day I'd sing head, shoulders, knees and toes, he wasn't pointing to those things. Gibby. Head, shoulders, knees and knees okay. and I started to get knees really in. worried but people would say to me, well he was a premature baby so adjust his age. He's not really one yet. Or he's a boy, you know, they're slower to speak. Oh, he's going to start speaking in sentences. You know, I'd be reassured, even though in my heart I was really uncomfortable and it was really panicky. And I started to look up speech delays on the Internet. And you get 10,000 things, and it all has to do with autism. My idea of an autistic child was Rain Man. I'm an excellent driver. Yeah, that's good. Come on. Come didn't on. want to be held, didn't want to be touched screamed and cried, kicked and screamed, you know, shook their hands, turned around in circles. That's what I thought at first. You and I are going to get on this plane. No, no. <laughs> I would read through the list of warning signs, and I could say, well, he doesn't do this, but he does do this. And it was like three-fourths no and one-fourth yes, because he loved being held. He wasn't a temper tantrum thrower. So... I would just kind of talk myself out of it a little bit, and then I would talk with other people. I'd talk with the pediatrician, and none of them really seemed to feel like that fit him. And so I was relieved. Want to do patty cake? 
Patty cake. Patty cake. Baker's man. I think for the longest time we just kept thinking, well, the light's going to come on and it's going to be okay. And, you know, everything else worked out and we were hoping. But at the same time, I knew something was wrong and you could not attribute it to his adjusted age anymore. And mark it with a... Mark it with a... Nobody gives you a handbook that says, you know, your child has autism, this is what you do. I talked to my sister, who is a nurse, and she said, you know what, you just have a neurologist look at him. He's a little over two and a half. And at the point that we had that appointment, and I was, we were seeing progress, so I really wasn't expecting anything except for them to say he just needs more time. And we go in there, and this neurologist comes right at him with these toys that he wasn't interested in. He would not even look at this doctor at all. Even things that he could do, he didn't even do it. And I remember this doctor saying, well, more than likely he's mentally retarded and you'll just have to change your expectations and just shattered my heart. And so I'm in this office with tears down my face and just feeling like I want to crawl in a hole and just not ever come out and take my child with me and just get out of this world. And we went back to his occupational therapist, and she said, I do not agree at all. Your child has made wonderful progress. He's shown us that he can learn. He shows us every day. He's willing to work. And But in the back of my mind, that seed had been planted, and I had to fight it every single day. I took him to see Santa last year, and I was trying to get him to smile, and he wouldn't look at the Santa at all, and all he wanted to do was play with his beard. And the Santa, the mall Santa to me said, does he have that autism thing? I just remember saying, no, he doesn't have autism, and took him off his lap. But now looking back, I find humor in it, I guess, because there were so many other people that I asked, and they said no. And the mall Santa, I guess if you want a diagnosis, ask him. Finally, someone said to me, have you ever had him taken to someone to see if he actually has autism? And I said, no, who do you take him to? And I didn't even know there were doctors that did that. That's when she said, well, I know this doctor in Ann Arbor. His name is Dr. Solomon, and I know there's a waiting list six months or more. And, of course, I called, and it was six months or more. And I just started crying uncontrollably on the phone, and I think the secretary just took pity on me and said, well can you get here on Friday at 8 o'clock in the morning? And I said, yes. So this was on a Tuesday. It was the day before the 4th of July. And those four days were hell for me. I thought, he's going to say, there's no hope for your child. You know, get over it and make the best of it. And we got there, and he, it was the complete opposite experience. Okay, this is, I was afraid of that. It's a way to start the tape here. He just dumped all the blocks out. That'll keep him busy for a while. Um, so uh, this is Dr. Solomon, Rick Solomon. I'm going to make a tape on Gibson Brown. It's uh, He looked at July our child. 6, he played with him. He initiated things with him. He got in his face. He got at his level. I just immediately, even before he said anything, I, I was so comforted because I thought, okay, he's seen our child, how he really is. It's my style after I'm done interviewing the family and playing with the child to then tape my recommendations. Then he started off the tape by saying that 
know, your child very clearly has significant language delays. That, there's no question, he's three years old, but he does have words, and he has words before the age of three. He likes really to play by himself. Even though he can be social, he prefers to isolate himself. And he's got a number of dominating interests. He likes to play with certain things and not others, and he'll play with those certain things over and over and over again. So, I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to say, but there's no doubt in my mind that he's on the autistic spectrum. Now, I think it's mild. I do think it's mild. And then at that when point, I, he said, now let me stop the tape. Uh, let me just stop there, okay? When I make a diagnosis of autism, generally I do stop the tape and wait for the parent's reaction. I often apologize to them for giving them bad news because I don't consider it good news. And I'm waiting for him to say more. I mean, my mouth is open, and I'm waiting for him to say, your child is mentally retarded and he has no future and will not be in a regular first-grade classroom, and we're not saying anything, and he's looking at us and we're looking at him, and I said, well, is there more? And he said, well, no. And he said, well, we're relieved. And I think he about fell out of his chair. I don't think he was expecting us to say that. It takes a lot of strength to recognize that there's something that's not right with your child's development and to be able to come in and really take the risk of finding out that something really is wrong and that something needs to be done. He gave us a tape, and I've listened to it probably 100 times. I listen to it on the way to work almost every day. And so there's reason to be very hopeful and to have high expectations. You should not lower your expectations here. We've always known um, we're going to have to work hard with him. We've always known that with our son it's not the way a typical child develops. But to know that someone else besides us believes in him, someone who has devoted his life to children like him, to hear that there are things that we can do for him to help him, I can handle that so much better. There's hope, and I definitely needed to hear that. Autism experts generally agree that quick intervention after diagnosis can help a child conquer some of the most debilitating aspects of the disorder. Yet the availability of treatment is hit or miss. Some parents are lucky enough to live in an area where public school districts have top-notch programs for autistic toddlers. The Browns are among those lucky ones. Shortly after getting Gibson's diagnosis, they moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan, where they enrolled Gibson in a special preschool for autistic children. Croydon Avenue School is somewhat rare in that it's a public school that offers intensive one-on-one -on -one counseling for autistic preschoolers. It's a therapy that, if done privately, would cost families up to $100,000 a year. Hi, Sky. Welcome back. My name is Angela Telfer, and I'm the principal here at Croydon Avenue School. And today is Gibson's first day. Are you ready for school? And it looks like his dad has brought him in, and he seems pretty willing to go downstairs. Bye-bye. I love you. Let's go, Gibson. I am Katrina Brown. I'm Gibson's mother. We've really been looking forward to this day to kind of see where we're headed and what to expect. And I feel really positive about the things that are in place for him. And it just makes me feel like he's in a really good place where he needs to be. Gibson! Gibson, look! Good train, bud! Typically, this is a way we introduce a new student to the classroom is first let them have some time to play and get to know the people a little bit before they go into a booth to start to do some work. Here's a big train. Do you like trains? Many of our kids come in and they aren't talking. 
And so we work on speech, and we also work on picture systems to help them communicate and understand. Choo-choo! you say it? Say choo-choo! They perceive the world a little bit differently than typically developing children. And because they haven't learned some of those early communication and language skills, it makes the world kind of a confusing place for them. Here comes another train. Early childhood development for any child is a critical time. They're learning all kinds of things, and the learning process can be really rapid. For children with autism especially, catching them early and getting them into some really good intervention can really make a huge difference in their communication and language growth. Because if you can imagine going through life not understanding what people are saying to you 100% of the time and not being able to communicate how you're feeling, it can be a pretty scary place. It almost seems like you're dropped in a foreign land, I think, for some of these children. And for some children that use behaviors to communicate, and sometimes extreme behaviors to communicate. The earlier we can give them a different way so they don't establish patterns that we don't want them to establish, then the earlier they can see, I can get my needs met in many different ways. And that will impact their lives as they go all through their school years. Gibson, a train. Good job, talking. They were working hard to try to interact with him, and for a long time he was using the train on his own, and he would actually turn his back to them when they tried to interact. But they kept at it and kept trying to use the thing that he seemed to like the most, which was the train, and uh, eventually he did say train for them and some other things. He will do smart things. He's really good at doing puzzles. He remembers parts of books that we've read to him. He does engage with us. He has problem-solving skills. He figures things out, you know, on his own. And it's not that I expect a brainchild or a genius or an Einstein or anything like that. It just makes me really worried when I see how far he still has to go. Time to go. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Gibson. Let's go, Gibson. Gibson, sit down. My name is Carmen Janitis, and I am a teacher in the Early Childhood Developmental Delay classroom here at Creighton Avenue School. Sit down, buddy. Gibson has been working with us for about a month and a half in a booth with a tutor. Gibson. There you go. That's sitting down. There are about 20 different small uh, sectioned-off areas in the classroom all along the outside walls. They're somewhat soundproof, but not completely. And so a child will be in there with one tutor, or sometimes two, and they work one-on-one with different kinds of skills and activities. Gibson, quiet hands. It's really helpful for them to have the cubicles because it shuts out a lot of the visual distractions when they're trying to learn and focus on the task at hand. Gibson, arms up. It also helps with some of the sound that's happening in the classroom. Some children you might pick out you know, certain small behaviors like they might flap their hands a little bit when they're excited. Sometimes you'll see them covering their ears if they're sensitive to sound. And it also helps the children to understand that this is the space in the classroom where I need to be right now. And once they've done that a few times, they know when they go there, it's time for me to work, it's time for me to sit and listen, it's time for me to pay attention to what I'm supposed to do. Give us a good luck, buddy. I'm Brian Patrick Tuchek. I am a 
senior at Western Michigan University in the intermediate practicum. Gibson, give me the book. We have a partnership with Western Michigan University to provide psychology practicum students that work with our students one-on-one. Awesome job giving me the book, Gibson. Way to go. It's very scripted. Gibson, touch your nose. So when the child is asked to do something, they're asked the same way every time for a while so that the language and the words don't get confusing for them. Good job touching your nose, Gibson. Way to go. They might ask the children ten times to touch their nose, and they record how they did every single time. Gibson, touch your nose. There's a lot of data that we use to determine progress. Good job, water on. There are ten steps to how to wash your hands, believe it or not. And we need to make sure that the tutors are using the same types of words to help the children learn all the steps. So on the wall here, we have a strip of pictures. First picture is turn the water on. The next one, hands wet, get soap. Gibson, get soap. And those kids follow those steps with prompts from their tutor. Good job getting soap. A lot of times they need more practice than a typical child would need to learn those skills and be able to do them independently. So the repetition helps them understand, you want me to do this, I do this. Gibson, water off. And we keep doing that over and over, and they get what we call reinforced for that or praised for that or get special treats of things that they like so that they know, yes, you're doing the thing we want you to do. And the more repetition and practice they have, then the more skills that they build. Awesome job washing your hands, Gibson. He's doing just fine. Still a little bit hesitant to talk with us. He speaks very quietly, and it's very difficult to understand him. So we're working on having him speak a little more forcefully. He's kind of a shy little guy, a little insecure, I think. And as he gets more comfortable with us, I think we'll be able to push a little bit more and a little bit more and and perhaps pull more out of him. Gibson, arms up. We see him every day, and we work with him every day, and I sometimes feel like it's like watching grass grow. It's just, I'm looking for little things, but I just don't necessarily see it. It's hard to see, I guess, the forest for the trees, but other people see a huge difference. Gibson, give me the baby. He's improving in, like, all of his skills. Way to go giving me the baby, Gibson. He's so smart. He can identify objects even better. Gibson. Do this. When we do manipulative imitation and say do this, he actually does it now. Awesome job doing that, buddy. Way to go. Gibson, give me the shoe. I can remember being so excited because our son this summer was starting to put his sandals on by himself. Awesome job giving me the shoe. Then I go over to my brother's house and they had a little girl over there and she was born after our son. And yes, she's a girl, and girls tend to be more ahead, but it's time for her to go, and she puts her socks and shoes on and then goes and gets her coat, and I think, oh, my gosh. Awesome job giving me the baby, Gibson. Way to go. We're all done. I love my child dearly, and I have to accept where he's at, and our child is different, and I'm learning to just appreciate him for who he is and the miracle that he is. And as far as he's come, I mean, he's really had to work so hard and there are very few kids that I know that have had to work as hard as he has and has had to go through what he's been through so you know when you think of it that way um, he's doing pretty good he's doing really good all right Gibson time to go bub time to go home go walking autism is a disorder that can play cruel tricks on parents Imagine having a beautiful baby boy and watching that boy grow and develop normally for almost two years. 
Then imagine one day that the boy you knew seemed to no longer be there. That's just what happened to Christy Varga. She's a single mom living in Niles, Michigan, and Varga actually has two boys with autism. Three-year-old Dominique is on the mild to moderate end of the spectrum. The other, her oldest named Anthony, is severely autistic. Now, what has made things truly heartbreaking for Varga is that Anthony, who's now five, appeared to be developing just fine as a toddler. This is a video of Anthony before he was diagnosed with autism. He was about a year and a half old at this time. He was very interested in the world. He was very animated. He babbled a lot. He actually imitated my actions there. He was smiling. He said, give me that in Hungarian just a second ago. So he was actually bilingual. Then from one day to another, it was complete silence. Today is a school day, so our days are very rigid. We have a set schedule on what we need to do and when. This is their morning schedule, basically, after breakfast, so they're now in the playtime. You want to play? Let's turn it on. Anthony is a very, very musical child. He's got a little keyboard there, and he can actually sit down and play very well. Not real music or sheet music, but his own little creations, and they're actually pretty good. I like them. My dream was to send him to MIT where I wanted to go, but just circumstances didn't work out that way. I had a career. I was assistant vice president of the Credit Union. Um, life is beautiful, and at 27 months, he had a viral infection. When he emerged from the infection, he disappeared. He had no more words. He wasn't pointing. He had no communication whatsoever. You didn't even know Anthony was alive. He never asked for food, never asked for drink. If you didn't give him anything to drink all day, he didn't care. He sat in a corner, he hummed, and he rocked all day long. And it went on until about 2 in the morning. He was not there, 100% gone. And he was just a little shell sitting in a corner, just waiting for life to pass by. My name is Rick Solomon, and I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician. Regressive autism actually is quite common, and what it describes is a child who apparently is developing normally, and then language disappears or decreases dramatically. And so what you have is a true regression in development. Uh, the course changes. It was devastating. The first time when the doctor said that Anthony's autistic, I said, my son just got his death sentence. His life is over. As we knew, his life is over. He died. And I have this other little boy, and I need to learn to love him. And I love him with all my heart, and I would die for him any day. Somewhere deep inside of him is the son I had before this all happened. But I have lost the little boy that I cradled for two and a half years. What you're really talking about is the grief process. Uh, no matter how it happens, it's the biggest sadness that you have is to either lose your child's normal development or to lose your child. Are we jumping? Give me a hug. Hug for mama. Oh, I love hugs. And then what happens is, is the development drops off and then it starts to pick up again. Anthony's giving me a bear hug. 
And when you look at him now, it's a whole lot different matter. He's still non-verbal. He doesn't speak, but he does communicate in a lot of different ways. And he has a lot of cues. Sometimes they're very subtle, but he's letting you know what he wants when he's hungry. He'll let you know when he's thirsty. He'll let you know when he's hurt. He's communicating the best he can. Come here. We are done with play. Can you take play off for me? Play off. We're done with play. And every time something happens that we're done with, we take the picture off and we put it away. My mom and dad are here almost 24-7 helping me. They live upstairs. So my mom is helping me get lunch ready for the kids and giving them juice. So he's giving me the picture of the chicken nugget and I give him a chicken nugget for it. Here you go, chicken nugget. And you have to repeat the words back so he can associate it. More chicken nugget, good job. My mom and dad did not want to accept that anything could be wrong with that precious little boy. Chicken nuggets. My mom said her heart is breaking though when he has to do this for a chicken nugget, but it's the only way I can teach him to communicate for now, so. Just, just so sad. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know. I don't understand. My heart is broke. More chicken nuggets. My biggest fear with Anthony is what happens to him when I die. And when you have a child with autism, every day it's in the forefront of your thoughts. How do I take care of him when I'm gone? I don't want him to be in diapers. I don't want somebody else to dictate his life. I don't want somebody else to be grumpy with him because they're having a bad day or toss the food in front of them because they're angry at something or slap them because he's in a nursing home and the person who's taking care of them is overworked and underpaid and doesn't care. I don't want that for my children. I want my son to be able to sustain his life by himself, to be able to feed himself, get groceries for himself, have a life. His long-term prognosis is that with luck, he should be able to get a job. I think he should be able to be quite social and interactive with a selected group, small group. I doubt that he will go on to college and or have a capacity for intimate relationship like a marriage relationship. But you know what? You never know. The first time I watched that video of Anthony, after his diagnosis, I, I had to turn it off and I couldn't even look at it. Now, when I look at this, um, this is what I want. I know this is what I'm fighting for. So it reminds me every day that this was my son and my son is still there and I just have to get him back. So it just gives me strength. Coming up, a day in the life of a single mom with an autistic son, as Autism Chronicles continues. Raising an autistic child presents specific challenges challenges that can be especially difficult for single working parents. Amy Thompson is a single mom to Olivia, a firecracker of a four-year-old, and Colin, 
who's six. Colin was recently diagnosed with autism. Even though Colin is considered to be on the mild end of the autistic spectrum, a typical day for Amy Thompson is an exercise in patience and endurance. Morning, Colin. Good morning, sunshine. I usually get up a quarter of six, 5.30, quarter to six. You have to wake up. I have to be to work at eight o'clock in the morning. And if I'm five minutes late, then I get penalized. Wake up. It's a lot of pressure to get everybody up and going. Colin. Waking up Colin is not easy. He could sleep through a train coming through his bedroom. Last resort is you stand him up. Physically, Colin is like any normal six and a half year old. Wake up and walk. Doesn't look like anything is wrong with him. Doesn't look like anything is happening with him. Colin, what are you doing? But I've always known that there's something not quite right with him since he was a toddler. You want to choose a shirt? And getting him yeah. dressed has always been a real challenge. There's a certain order to it. You have to do his underwear, his undershirt, his t-shirt, and then his blue jeans, and then his socks. And if it's not laid out in that order, you know, stacked on top of each other, then he just kind of stops functioning. He's not sure what to do with it, so he doesn't do anything at all. All right, go check your picture board, Colin. Check your schedule. One of the teachers recommended this picture board, and I thought, you know, that might work. You know, I, I, I was willing to try anything to get the child's clothes on him. It's Velcro squares. One says, brush your teeth, brush your hair, put your clothes on. And they all have pictures on them relating to it. We put them in order of how he needs to take care of himself in the morning and in the evening. Olivia, come on. Well, I'm trying to deal with Colin and get him going in the morning, get him dressed. I still have a four-year-old who runs around like a little crazy woman and doesn't understand that she needs to hurry too and she needs to be responsible for herself. She's old enough to get herself dressed. Olivia! Come here! Olivia, come here. Olivia, come here. See, Colin does that occasionally where he'll stand against a wall or in a corner and talk to himself, and it it doesn't quite make sense to see him do it, but it it works for Colin. It helps him to make sense of things, and he goes back and carries on with the rest of his day, I guess. Oh, Colin, you're still where I left you. I think maybe I should set your timer, do you think? Nope. Well, how about I set it for when we have to walk out the door? Yes. All right. We have 20 minutes to get out the door. So I set it for 15 minutes because sometimes the alarm going off sends off chaos and they're, oh, you know, we gotta go. But then they don't go anywhere. They just run around in circles and do nothing. So put the rest of your clothes on There was a time where he had a catalog that he was looking at, and I'm trying to get him dressed and get out the door, so after warning him several times that if he didn't put it down and go get dressed, that I was going to throw away the catalog, and when he didn't heed the warning and just kept looking at it sitting in his underwear, I took the catalog away from him, threw it in the trash, and he completely shut down. He climbed underneath of the fitted sheet on my bed and curled into a ball and wouldn't come out. I had to take my bed apart to get him out of my bed. And it took me an extra hour just to get him out of that. Olivia, what'd you do to my timer? I turned it off and I was ready. 
Oh, you you were ready, so you turned off my timer? Mm -hmm. Well, that's not gonna work. Ha -ha. We need a new timer. Ha -ha. She pulls my chain just about every day. Ha -ha. Look, do you see the clock? 7.19. What time do we leave? 7.19. 7.15. I don't know how many times I've had both of them dressed and ready to go out the door and I'm still in my pajamas because I've, I've had to push and get them taken care of. Okay, now we're going. I hope. <laughs> That's usually when I relax. You know, I just try to take that time to calm my nerves and we turn the radio up. The kids like country. I like country. Woo, Marie! I love it. I love to do. Can you come down with me and sing? I work at Westwoods and Isles. It's a nursing facility. There's about 121 residents, I believe, and uh, I'm an activity aide here. I work a lot with the lower cognitive residents with the sensory visits and pet therapy and massage therapy and things like that, coffee socials, and the choir is the one that they let me do because nobody else wants to sing. <laughs> and he walks with me and he talks. And honestly, I think work is quite a reprieve when I go to work. It gives me a chance to have a break from the nonstop drama in the house. Let's start with verse number one again. I come to the garden alone. I just got off work and it's 4.35 approximately and I'm doing all right. A little bit wore down <laughs> by the end of the day, but it's like I just want to sit down and go, oh God, you know, but I can't just sit down. <laughs> it's about five minutes, 10 minutes after five and I've already picked up Olivia and now I'm here to pick up Colin. Hey buddy. Hi. How was your day? Good. 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 She had to come in to give you a hug. She does understand that Colin is a little different. There's been a couple of times where I've had to correct her. She'll say, are you just stupid? You know, how kids repeat what they've heard. So I've had to correct her a few times and say, you know, Colin does things differently. And uh, that's okay, because that's who Colin is. And, and you need to accept Colin for who he is. And she says, Okay, so then I hear her repeating to the next child when they say, Colin's just stupid, you know, and Olivia will correct him and say, no, my brother's just different, and I love him just the way he is. Fish, can you get your things on, please? Come on. We still have to go to the grocery store. Olivia and Colin, you can't run. Hold on. Have to go to the grocery store, otherwise we won't have dinner tonight. <laughs> What do you guys want to eat tonight? Um, soup. We're not having soup. We had soup last night. I have to skimp a lot on things like groceries. You know, I go to save a lot instead of the regular grocery store. 
I do without a lot of things for myself to make sure that the kids have new tennis shoes and coats and things like that. So it's pretty much what I make pays for us to live and feed them and that's pretty much all the money that I have. The ice cream sandwiches? Yeah. Let's see how much they are, okay? Holy Moses. Even the small pack is a lot. We'll get those at the dollar. Come on, let's go inside. It is 10 minutes to six. Can you open the door for me? And we just got home. Please. I let the kids play outside or play in their rooms or whatever for a little while. Oh, that was the magic word. So they can have a chance to calm down. Colin, wait, 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 wait. I'd worked with special needs kids for a long time, since I was 15. I was an assistant teacher. I worked with autistic children. I worked with children with Down syndrome. However, I was able to shut it off at 3 o'clock, 3.30, and go home and not have to deal with that. Well, now I have to figure out how to deal with that on a 24-hour basis. Hey, Colin, do you think you should check on your rabbit? Okay. As far as the support system, I have my sister, who's a half an hour away, and hey, other than that, I don't have family nearby. Get his dish out. you got to remember your steps. It takes a lot of effort to get him to accomplish a task some days. Okay, done. What else does he need? Today he's about in the middle. Does he have any more celery or vegetables in there? He's mostly paying attention and mostly doing what he should be doing, you know, but there's still that little edge of, okay, any second now I might be gone over the hill somewhere. <laughs> like he's got another realm in his head or something that he's, he's visiting for the minute. <laughs> or for 10 minutes or two hours. He's constantly looking at books. And this book in particular is my journal book, and there's nothing written in it. And he's been sitting there for, what, close to five minutes flipping through the same book, and there's nothing for him to read or look at in there particularly interesting to a kid. So those are the things that make me look at him and go, okay, there might be an autistic trait. There might be something to add to the pile of things that I've already picked up on him. It hurts to not have that connection with him. A lot of times when he's really far into it, I have to do a lot of things for him. Otherwise, he, you know, he wouldn't brush his teeth. He wouldn't eat dinner half the time, you know, if, if I didn't try and pull him out of that. You want some music? Yeah. I turn the radio up and we dance and play around, you know, until I get him to giggle and then I can kind of get him out of his shell, so to speak. There you go. Hold your brother's hand. Whose turn is it? Quick, quick. Mine. All right. We'll God let Olivia. Is, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food we eat. Amen. Amen. It's been quite a emotional roller coaster ride. No, I want Hey, hey, hey. You know I don't tolerate any monkey business at the dinner table. None whatsoever. I've been frustrated to the max. You know, I don't have that extra person to lean on to say, okay, I just can't do this today. Can you please deal with him? Colin, one. Two. Okay. Okay. 
I don't have that capacity. It's me all the way. Just one moment. There's been a lot of times where I've had to stop and count to 10 and, and do whatever necessary to gather myself back together because I know that Colin and Olivia depend on me to take care of them every day in every aspect. So I just kind of have to keep it together and keep trudging along. I'm finally making a pot of coffee and it is what? <laughs> 8.35. I don't do a whole lot for myself, I guess. Uh, I go to work every day and take care of people at work and then I go home and take care of small babies at home. Colin, did you check what you're supposed to do? I'm playing my guitar. What's the name of your song? I forgot. Do you want Mama to sing some song? Yeah. And then you can play to Mama's singing? Yeah. You ready? <clears throat> she was just 16 and all alone When I came to be And we grew up together My mama, child, and me I'm surprised at his capacity to love. He knows when I'm having a difficult time. He'll come put his arms around me and he'll say, Mama, I love you. Or he'll say, who's my best mom? Because I always tell him, who's my best boy? And he always tells me, who's my best mom? I've never seen that side of autism. I've never seen that capacity to love somebody fully. Will she calm my fears, release her tears with a rock and roll lullaby? Say your prayers. Dear Jesus, keep me safe tonight. Help me have some dreams. Keep my family safe. And keep my family safe. In In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The end. All right, let go of my hand. After I finally get them to sleep, I usually sit down for about a half an hour. I drink more coffee. <laughs> I don't usually go to bed until after midnight because I'm doing laundry and doing dishes and sweeping floors and things that I didn't get done while they were awake and I was at work. And I try to take a few minutes in there to take a bath or to read a book or call a friend or what have you. But that's usually how my day goes every single day. And she'd sing, sha na 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 it'll be alright. sha na 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 just hold on tight. Sing it to me, mama. As a single mother with a low-paying job, Thompson has been finding it difficult to navigate the system to get help for her son. So she decided to turn to the real experts, other parents of autistic children. Okay, okay I'm going to go ahead and get started since it's after 6.30. My name is Betty Arn, and I am a parent of an autistic youngster. We're at Northside School for the Parent Support Group for Autism in Niles, Michigan. There's um, brownies over there and coffee. Help yourself. My name is Amy Thompson. This is my first time coming to any autism meeting. 
I've been wanting to come and with scheduling and things like that I haven't been able to make one and with me just learning about the different things that that are wrong with my son or or right in a wrong way <laughs> I'm having a hard time focusing on what I need to do which doctor to take them to which meetings to go to you know I couldn't get any doctors to listen to me my son's pediatrician you know for the longest time I kept telling them there's something not right there's something wrong there's something wrong and and they kept saying well wait until he gets into school wait until he gets into school and it's like you know well I know there's something wrong please do something and you know I I'm clueless Colin was diagnosed in uh, April so you know, I'm, I'm new to this, and I'm scared, and doctors don't help much. How old is he? He's six and a half. I think it's fairly typical when people first find out their child is diagnosed. It's, it's so overwhelming. First, you have to try and figure out what autism is and what the spectrum is and that everyone's child is not exactly the same. And then how are you going to help your child be successful in life? And... A support group is very powerful in that hopefully there's other parents that have started to find the way and can say, well, why don't you try this? Or this was helpful for me. It might be helpful with your child. You try to tell people to go with your gut feeling. If that doctor doesn't work, you go to the next one. There's that sense of time taking away of what you can do to kind of realign where he's going. I didn't know that Colin had autism at the time. I just had I had that sense of time ticking away kind of feeling, and nobody wanted to do anything to help me. There's the theory out there that you have this limited window of opportunity to make huge gains before they reach the age five or six. So you have this limited window of opportunity, and as you're out there floundering, you see that window starting to collapse on itself, and that can be very frustrating for parents. He's on the mild end of the spectrum, so mm. thank God, but... You know, how do you know before they're six and, you know, they're already in these patterns that you can't reverse? You don't. You really don't. So that pediatrician should have been on top of this. Yes. He's no I'm longer sorry. my pediatrician. You <laughs> <laughs> see, you knew before the doctor knew. Yeah. Mom knows. If he sits for two hours and plays with the same toy without moving, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. there's something not right there. And you had He's no clue that the state of Michigan yeah. offers services for zero to three years. I have, I have no that. idea. As soon as the bell rings and he's done with school, I still have Colin at home, and what do I do with him there? Are there therapies that I can take him to? Is there Are there groups that I can take him to? Is there something that I should be doing for him at home that could be helping him? There's a lot of things that I don't understand. It's a very overwhelming feeling to not be sure of where to find the resources. I think our healthcare system is so fractured that when you get the diagnosis, the physician can't say, okay, he's got fine motor difficulties and he needs some speech therapy, so you need to go here and these people will help you out. No, that doesn't happen. And so, so then you are looking for the services on your own. And how many speech therapists do you know that you look up in the phone book, you know, or physical therapists or occupational therapists? How do you know? There's lots of parents out here, and there's lots of parents who are willing to support because we've all been through it, yeah. I was really encouraged to come to this meeting tonight, and I'm, I'm very glad that I did. Very glad, because I see that there's other people that have children with the same 
qualities as my son has. He sounds like Alex when, when Alex was that age. Mm -hmm. And Alex didn't talk till he was four years old. But, you know, now, he, he's 10 years old now, and Betty has worked with him really intensively. And he, right now, he was picked for um, the Science Olympiad. Yeah, and I'm very proud of him. For, and, you know, there were times when I sat there and thought, hey, he's going to be living with me forever. <laughs> he's still going to live with us, but he's going to be he's going to be supporting us. <laughs> That's helpful. It's helpful to hear that there's hope that he might grow up and be a functioning an adult. Okay. And if you need a shoulder or you need to talk to someone, give me a call, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Do you want my number? Yes, please. At the autism support meeting, Thompson was given the name of Dr. Richard Solomon, an autism specialist in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We heard from him earlier in the hour. As we hear in this last installment of Autism Chronicles, Thompson goes to see Dr. Solomon to get some ideas for inexpensive but effective ways to help her son. Walk right back here. Okay, come on in. Hi, bud. Hi. How are you? We are at Dr. Solomon's office. You want some toys? You want, like to play with toys? And we're here for Colin's appointment to evaluate him and get a complete medical diagnosis. So, uh, welcome. My name is Rick Solomon, and I'm a specialist in autism. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician. Why don't we start at the beginning? You know, tell me when you first started getting worried about him. It was about 18 months. You could put him on the floor with a toy, and he would sit there for two hours. You know, and, and for a toddler, that is not, not normal, you right. know. So you were first worried when he was 18 months, but then yes. he didn't actually get officially evaluated until age five. Why, yes. why is that? Because his pediatrician kept telling me, oh, don't worry about it. Okay. Everything's wait fine. See. Wait until he gets into school. And My training before I got into medical school was to work with kids with autism on the floor playing. Hey, Colin, do you see, you see how that works? Put your hand in it like this. Oh, that's cool, isn't it? So a parent can actually come to my office and I can do a play intervention and get to know the kid and within a very short period of time, usually. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? I think it was interesting in the way we tested him. It took a long time to get him engaged. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> Colin? Every parent wants a connection to their own child, which they don't have a lot of times in autism where their children reject them or appear to reject them because the parent hasn't figured out how to join the child in their comfort zone. What, what do you love? What do you love to do? What's your favorite thing? He was off playing by himself for a long time. Then finally we got him engaged. Take that. Take that. Oh, the sword. Get your sword. And then finally we started doing some more, I think, challenging types of interactions. Guess what I'm drawing. What are you drawing? Well, oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, let me guess. You're drawing. And there you could see he had no idea of how to give hints. It's made out of plastic. Made out of plastic. So it's a thing. It's big. It's made out of plastic. I know. It was really actually kind of cute. An airplane. But, but not really. Jelly beans. <laughs> <laughs> They're not big. That's not fair. To me, this speaks to <laughs> the subtlety of working with a lot of these kids. We, who are typical don't understand how difficult it is to socialize. 
and how subtle all the cues are for socialization. And as soon as you just drop out a few of those abilities, just a few, it's amazing how quickly kids pick up on this. Oh, the bag was plastic. By the time you're six or seven, kids are talking to themselves and saying, oh, he's different. He'd hide under the table, rocking in his chair. Oh, he hid under the table. Yes, all that, the time. That is a classic sign. <clears throat> yeah. So I think he's yeah. different, you know. So, I think so Colin has uh, definite issues, and the school picked up on it, and he was doing pretty bizarre behaviors in the school setting. And um, I feel completely comfortable making the diagnosis. His language is actually pretty good. He can communicate when he wants to. Mm-hmm. He sometimes tries to be social. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't really know how. Yeah. And he definitely has dominating interests. So he's on the autistic spectrum, mm-hmm. but I believe that his condition would be called high-functioning autism. And that's I'm saying he has a mild case of an autistic spectrum disorder. Colin has got a uh, very, actually a very nice personality. Yeah. So I don't know, whatever you've done has yeah. really been helpful for him. Well, thank you. Yeah, I was I mean, glad to hear yeah, somebody nice appreciates what I'm doing with my kids because I don't hear it often, hardly ever. He has problems, though, with the back and the forth of interaction. I think it may so be, you know, uh, kismet, you know, that she came in at this time because this is a particularly dangerous time. Now he's in school full time. He is away from her. And under her care, he actually did pretty well. The question is, will he continue? So if I were going to have the ideal program for him, it would be not letting him be off by himself, engaging him in a human relationship. Uh, that's called the play project. I would do speech and language therapy because he's ready for it. Occupational therapy to address the motor planning, those types of things. While I was sitting there, I, I was very concerned about how how I was going to pay for that office visit. When all else failed, I have an overdraft protection on my checking account, and that's what I was going to use to pay for my appointment. So it made it harder to concentrate on, on what was going on in the office there. And if you do what I'm talking about, I really think that within a couple years, it takes years, it takes years. Oh, yeah. Within a couple years, <clears throat> he should be a much more social guy. With a with a much more diverse range of interests, okay. and the ability to problem solve and think for himself. Those are my goals for him, okay. in a nutshell. And I believe he has that capacity. How expensive is is the the stuff that it the play project over there at the Logan Center? I don't know. You'll have to check, but I think they have a sliding fee scale, and they may have scholarships, and we have some scholarships too. So okay. we should be able to patch something together for you. Okay. 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 It was a lot. Feeling a little overwhelmed? Very. I'm sorry. Where's my Kleenex? Can you tell me what you're feeling? Aside from working almost every day and trying to help him the best that I can, and Olivia's climbing the walls. and Well, you've got time. You know, and, and you've got some time. I mean, there's no giant, giant hurry here. You know, he's doing well overall. You know, I've I've had to entertain the idea of having a second job because they they gave me a pay cut in my in my job. Oh no, this is a family that's 
extremely stressed. I, I was very sensitive to that. Did Pat discuss any uh, payment arrangements or anything like that? Are we agreed she not? Said, she said to we're just gonna talk to you when I oh, came okay. up here. <laughs> okay. So, so we'll just we'll just uh, give it to you. Are you sure? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I was absolutely astounded. I'm, I actually started crying because, you know, I was so overwhelmed with the thought of having to come up with that much money and what would that do to, you know, pay my rent and pay my car payment and pay the insurance and, you know, all the utilities, and I still didn't have groceries. So it was very much a relief when he waived the fees. She's just an example, one out of thousands and thousands of people in this country who can't afford appropriate interventions for their kids with autism, where the same type of interventions paid for for other conditions Medical insurance doesn't cover speech and language or occupational therapy. Uh, intensive interventions are only covered routinely in a handful of states. Her situation is not uncommon. So, okay, so uh, what, I'll, what I'll do then is um, I'll get a report out to you. And the possibility that learning about therapeutic approaches could overwhelm her and immobilize her is, is there. Uh, but, you know, you ask yourself, what are the choices? And I think the one that I've given her is doable, but not easy. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you You're very welcome. much. You're welcome. Call me if you have any questions. Thank you. Autism Chronicles was produced by Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister for Long Haul Productions, an association with Chicago Public Radio. The Coleman Foundation contributed funding. To hear more stories from Long Haul, go to longhaulpro.org.